So today we are concluding a teaching series that we've been in called The Lord's Prayer, where we're studying the Lord's Prayer. And just as Jesus did when he gave this prayer to his disciples, he's teaching us how to pray. And today we're looking at the very last petition in this Lord's Prayer. Now, what I know is that over the last handful of weeks, as we've gone through this journey, you and me together, we have been trying to take the things that Jesus has been teaching us and apply them to our prayers. And for some of us, this has meant praying perhaps for the first time with any kind of regularity or with any kind of direction. And, and I know from talking to you that you've been praying through some very important things. For example, if you live here in Houston and you have to deal with allergies, you've been praying for the pollen count to go down. Or if you're alive in the world and you're on social media at all, you have been praying for people to stop talking about Will Smith and Chris Rock. Like, we get it. We're done with it. Or if you're an Astros fan, you were probably praying like me to find a way to actually watch the home games on local television. Like, it's been impossible to figure out how to watch these games. Now, by the way, if you do fall into the category of praying for the pollen to decrease, I found like a little sticker for you that like, like you, could, you, you could get and put on the back of your car or on your shirt. It just says this. It's not COVID, it's allergies. Okay? Because you got the rest of us all stirred up and worried. For real though, I, I know that you have been praying about some, so, some heavy things, some serious things. And what, and what Jesus is going to teach us in this final petition is how to end our prayers. And, and I have to say to you, there's more to it than simply saying, amen. So let's look at this final petition that Jesus gives to us. Matthew chapter 6, starting at, at verse 9 and then jumping to verse 13. In fact, let's, let's do this. Would you read this with me out loud? Let's say these words together. When you pray, pray like this. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, you may not know this, but, but these words are actually not typically included in the most, most recent, most modern translations of the Christian scriptures. And the reason that, that some of your Bibles don't actually have these words or have this verse is because what we now know is that this verse is not included in some of the earliest manuscripts of Matthew's gospel. Now, what scholars don't know is why Matthew chose to leave this particular phrase out of the earliest copies of his gospel. But what we do know for a fact is that the earliest Christians, the first followers of Jesus, they included this petition as a teaching from Jesus on the end of the Lord's Prayer. You see, it was common in the first century to end a prayer with what's called a doxology, Doxology simply means good words or praise words, and that's what these are. These are words of praise to God to close out this teaching on prayer. And these particular words, which we recite as, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, these words actually have their origin with King David, which is why we heard from First Chronicles earlier. So what followers of Jesus have been reciting for 2,000 years at the end of the Lord's teaching on prayer is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen again, knowing that, listen again to what King David is saying in 1 Chronicles. Now, a little bit of context. King David is dying, and he knows it. 
And he wants to hand over the kingdom to his son, Solomon. But before he does, he wants to fulfill a dream, fulfill a promise, you could say. He wants to build a temple. He wants to build a house for the Lord, a place of worship for God's people, rather than a really ornate tent, which they'd had forever. He wants a physical building for God's people and for God's presence. And so he says, we're going to do this, and we're going to start it before I die. And so he gathers together all of God's people. We're talking hundreds of thousands of people for a giant worship service. It's like an Old Testament version of like Bonnaroo or Coachella or Burning Man or something like that. He gets all of them together, thousands and thousands of people, for this celebration and worship service. And into the middle of it steps old King David. And he, he offers up all of this treasure. He offers up gold and silver and bronze, and he hands it over to God. And then all of God's people in attendance, they're moved by this sacrifice. And so they take all of their treasure, and they hand it over as well. For the start of the building of this temple. And then once all of the gifts have been given, this is what King David says. Connect this to how Jesus ends his teaching in the Lord's Prayer. First Chronicles 29. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours, Yours, you could say, thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O, we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Here's what David is saying. David is saying, you know what we want, Lord. We want to build a temple. And we know what is needed. You need our treasure. And so we take our treasure and we hand it to you. But here's what else David is saying. We recognize that this is your kingdom. That you get all the glory. You deserve all the praise. And therefore, we recognize this has to be your temple. And so even though we've told you what we want and we've offered up our treasure, we are ultimately conceding that this is about your glory. This must be done by your power. It needs to be accomplished as you see fit in your ways, according to your plans, according to your purposes, and everything that we give to you, we lay it at your feet, and ultimately we say what Jesus said at the start of this prayer, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And so, of course, it makes sense that Jesus, knowing this prayer, would summarize this prayer of David and tack it on the end to his teaching on prayer. Because think of what we're doing when we're praying. When we are praying, we're telling God what we want. We're telling him what we'd like to build, so to speak. Here's what I want, Lord. And, and then we offer him these treasures. The treasures that we have, that we hold and we keep, are our wants, our needs, our hurts and our pains, and we hand them to him. But what we must also do is submit them to him. Not just hand them to him, but say, ultimately, this is about your power and your kingdom and, and your glory, and, and you know what I want, and here's my treasure, but I want you to build with what I've given you what you think is best what you think is best. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. 
I believe, God, that by handing you my treasure of my wants, my worries, my hurts, my hang-ups, and my needs, that you can build something better with it in your hands than by just leaving it in mine. That's what it means. Now, I'll be the first to admit to you that this attitude of trust doesn't come easy. It's one thing to say to God, do your thing, I trust you, do whatever you want with the prayer that I've just lifted up to you. When, when your prayer is for something kind of superficial, like for him to part the traffic on I-10 when you're running late. Do your thing, God. It's another to be that trusting when what you're praying for is the survival of your marriage. The emotional and mental well-being of your child. The trajectory of your career. Suddenly, it gets a little more difficult to say, it's your kingdom, it's your power, it's for your glory, forever and ever, this is my treasure, you've heard my request, but do what you think is best. Now it's hard. And what we're reminded of is that prayer Prayer is a profound act of submission and humility because you're taking the things that you desperately want and need and you're handing them to a God that you believe is good and you're not simply saying, give me what I want. You're saying, you know what I want, but I submit what I want to your will. That's hard. I remember when uh, my firstborn was just a baby, and it was bath time, and on this particular occasion, my wife asked me to take care of bath time. And that was typically like Lisa's realm. She did all the bath time stuff, but for whatever reason, she asked me to do it. And my first thought was, I got this. I love my kid. I'm comfortable with the water. I can make this happen. Apparently, my wife did not have the same belief in me, though she asked me to do this, because suddenly, though she needed me to do this, every five seconds, she was free to just pop her head in and go, how are you guys doing in there? Are you doing good? Need any help? And what I discovered from her input was that it's not that I was, it's not that I was doing a bad job giving the bath, I was just doing it wrong. <laughs> and I realized, you know, we had a lot at stake in this one particular bath night, you know? If the kid doesn't get properly clean and then... You know, the next day is all grungy and goes to a play date. The other parents might notice. They might start to talk. They might question our parenting. CPS might get involved. The child gets taken away from us, grows up without its parents. We're reunited one day on a very special episode of the Steve Harvey Show where she confronts us for abandoning her and talks about how she's been relinquished to a life in the circus, and it's really bad. I realize there's a lot at stake in this particular bath time. I couldn't be trusted with it. Now, here, here's what I know. Here's what I know. That very often we do the same thing with our prayers to God. It's one thing to hand something to God. It's another thing to let him own it. It was one thing to ask me to bathe our precious newborn. It was another to let me own it and to trust me to not only do it right, but to trust that the way I wanted to do it was right. 
It's one thing to hand something that you care about to somebody else. It's another to let them own it completely. And so very often what happens is we'll have these earnest prayers like, Lord, if you're there, please do this. Please allow for this. Please fix this. Change this. Heal this. We'll hand it to him and we'll put it in his lap. And then we'll come running back and say, you know what? You know what? If you're not going to answer it like this, then I'd rather just have it right back. We go running to the bathwater and go, you good in there? You got it? Because I, I just want to make sure you know how to do it the right way, meaning my way, meaning the only way. You good? That's so often what we do. You know, the hardest part of asking things of God, when you understand how Jesus wants us to end this prayer, the hardest part of of asking things of God is not asking things of God, but leaving things with God. Hardest part isn't asking, but leaving. Because we want to run back and put it back in our hands. And what these final words, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, what they're meant to do is reset me as a person of faith. As I pray my prayer, they're meant to reorient me to the truth that God will answer my prayers. He will answer my prayers according according to the plans of his kingdom. And for some of us, that can be a really hard truth to wrap our minds around. God will answer my prayers according to the plans of his kingdom. Because after all, what we see is that it's all about God's kingdom. This whole human experiment, the the, the whole story of it, your life, my life, all of it, it's all about God's plans, God's purposes, God's will, God's ways, his presence, his power, his love, his mercy and grace being made known. That's the center and the subject of the story. He's the director. He's the lead character, too. We're all just players in it. It's his kingdom. It's about his power and his glory, his love and mercy in Jesus Christ being made known. That's the whole thing. And what people of faith are called to do is recognize that. I have my wants, but it's your story. It's your story. And I believe that you are good. And I want you to answer my prayers according to your goodness and your plans and your purposes. And I submit myself to that. And again, that's so difficult for us to do because though we might know that intellectually, it's so hard for us to believe it and live it out. It's easy for me in my mind to go, yep, God, ultimately, it's all about you, and you're good, and, and I know that you're going to answer my prayer in a way that allows your kingdom to come. You're going to answer my prayer in a way that makes your glory and your power and your goodness and your plans known. I got that. But it grates up against my desire to be the king of my own life and my own world and of my own story. And I know that I'm not alone in that. I want to be king of Matt Popovitz's world. And you want to be king of yours. When I walk into work, I want everybody to just pause and go, we're glad you're here. I want all my ideas to be adored and listened to and implemented. You want to know why? Because that means I'm in charge and I'm the king. And then at the end of the day, I want to hop into my car and I want everybody else who's on the road to just pull to the side and put their phones down and just clear the path for me so I can drive home safely scrolling my phone. (laughs) And if that happens, you know what it means? It means I'm in charge. It means I'm the king. And then when I get to the house, I want to open the door and have someone hand me a pre-cooled, pre-chilled, already cracked open Diet Pepsi 
I don't want to smell dinner already being made. I want my children to come running to me. One grabs this leg, one grabs this one, and they tell me how great of a dad I am. I don't want to look over past them and see that my show that I'm currently streaming on Apple TV is already queued up on the television. If that happens, you know what that means? It means I've walked into the wrong house. That's what it means. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. I want to be king. And so do you. And yet what people of faith believe, among many other counterintuitive things, is this counterintuitive truth. What we believe is that life is actually better for us when it bends towards God's will and not mine. Life is actually better for us, and this is so hard to believe, when it bends towards the will and the wants, the plans and purposes of his kingdom and not my own. And it's at this point that we have to kind of check our hearts and check our intentions as to why it is we're following Jesus. If you are, in fact, here as a follower of Jesus, it's good for us in in conversations like this, confronted with truths like this, that it's about his kingdom and not ours, that his will is better than our wants, that our plans have to be submitted to his purposes. It's good for us to just kind of check our pulse and go, "Why, why do I follow Jesus again? Because very often we, we follow Jesus as a means to our end. We, we truly love him, we worship him, we, we believe in him, but ultimately what's primary for us are certain things we want from him. Like we don't ever talk about it. There's like this unspoken thing that goes on between us and the divine where we're like, yep, Jesus, it's all about you. I'm here at church on Palm Sunday because I believe in you and worship you, but also because I would like my kids to turn out okay. And I would like my bank account to look a certain way. And I would like age to hit me a certain way. And I would like my marriage to feel a certain way. And if those things don't happen, then I'm never going to articulate this, but here's what I believe. If I don't get those things, I'm going to point the finger at you. Because here's how I actually operate in my faith. I believe that you're a means to my end. And what we have to do is be confronted with that truth and recognize that Jesus is not a means to your end. That Jesus is the end of all your means. Amen. Jesus is the end himself. His mercy and grace for you is the whole point. His love for you is the whole point. This story that he's writing throughout all human history and all creation that you get to be a part of is the whole point. His promise to return and recreate all things and include you in it is the point. His promise to hear you and listen to you and love you and care for you, yes, is the point. But, but it's not about you getting things from him. It's about you being a part of his story and being a recipient of his mercy and grace and love forever and ever. Jesus is the end in and of himself. His kingdom, his love, his goodness. It's all about him. He's the point. And we end our prayers in such a way that we recognize that. Now, Jesus is the point. Will he be good to you? Yes. Will he answer your prayers? Yes. Will he be a good steward of your treasure, of your wants and your worries and your needs, the things you desperately need to be answered in a certain way? Will he be a good steward of those things? Yes, he will. But what we must confess is that he is God. And you are not. And so we submit our wants 
to his wills and our plans to his purposes. Now, you might be following along with me going, Matt, I get it. I don't know about these other people, but I get it. I submit all of my plans to God's purposes. I understand that when I pray, I'm I'm taking the treasure of my wants, worries, and needs, and I'm handing it up to him and saying, Lord, do what you think is best because it's about your kingdom, not mine. I get it. But here's the tough part for me. The tough part is waiting for the answer. Even if I've submitted myself to the fact that it's going to be God's answer that serves his kingdom, his will, and his ways, the tough part for me is waiting for the answer. So what do you do when, as Tom Petty says, waiting is the hardest part? What do you do then? Well, here's what I would say is you're not alone. Waiting for God to answer however he sees fit is the hardest part for all of us. And and what, what people of faith do is when we are waiting and wondering how God will respond, how he'll act, and if it will happen in our day and in our time, when we're waiting for God to respond, what we do is we we pivot, we we point ourselves towards the, the demonstrated goodness of God. When we're waiting for him to show his goodness in what is unfinished, the answer to our particular prayer. We, we pivot towards and we point towards the goodness that he has demonstrated for us as a way to give us peace and help us to hold on so that we might believe the words of Romans chapter 8, verse 28 that says this, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, even your thing, God works for the good of those who love him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God works for the good of those who are loved by him and those who have faith in him and love him? That God will work all things for good. And if you're saying, man, Matt, I want to, but I don't know, my pastoral encouragement for you is to look at, to aim toward the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, I knew he was going to say that. It always comes back to Jesus. Good, you're paying attention. Yes, it does. You see, so many people think that the cross of Jesus Christ, his, his death for you that forgives you and, his, and then his rise out of the grave that we're going to celebrate a week from now on Easter Sunday, that it's like this rear view mirror reality. Like you come to faith and you're confronted with it. And you're like, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. But then it goes behind you and it's just like it's in the rear view mirror, but you're driving towards other things. It's back here. That's not how people of faith are supposed to live. When we hand our prayer to God, We hand our prayer to God. His intention is for us to always be headed towards, driving towards, moving toward the death and resurrection of Jesus as our focus, as our hope, the thing we hold on to because that's the thing that helps us make sense of all the crazy things we can't understand. And that's the thing that proves to us while we wait that God is good because we look at the cross of Jesus Christ and we say, well, here's what I know. God can bring un known beauty out of unspeakable tragedy. God can bring good out of bad. God does not work in the ways in which I expect, but he does things and gives gifts that I could not imagine. The cross reminds us of the kind of king that we have in King Jesus, a king who will die for us and rise for us and will take the unexpected and turn it into exactly what we need. And so we drive towards that. We look at that and we hold tight to that. 
And so if you're wondering whether or not God is going to answer, whether or not God is good, you are in the perfect time of year. It is Holy Week. We are, we are just moments away from remembering, like no other time we do throughout the year, the sacrifice of Jesus for you so that you can look at the cross and you can say, God does not work in the ways that I would expect, but I know that he works all things for good. Because look at how much he loves me in Jesus Christ and look at his ability to bring beauty out of bad, life out of death. Jesus has taught us many things in this conversation about prayer. Many things. He's taught us that we can bring the little things to him. He's taught us that we should pray about our forgiveness, forgiveness we need to receive and forgiveness that needs to flow from us to others. He's taught us that we should pray in our moments of weakness, Lord, protect me from myself and protect me from others. As we've gone through this, I know that some of those things that Jesus has taught us has, has hit you in a profound way. Not so much because of the teaching itself, but because of how that teaching applies to some things that you're carrying and you're worrying about and that you're praying for right now. What are those things? There are relationships that need to be healed. There are bodies that are broken. There are bank accounts that are empty. There is hope that is lost. There are souls that are tired. What is it that you're praying for that you're lifting up right now? And let me ask you, do you trust the Lord with it? Can you give it to him and leave it with him and say, Lord, answer my prayer in a way that serves your plans and your purposes and your kingdom because I trust that you are good. And if you struggle to do that, fix your eyes on the cross and see King Jesus and see that, he, see that he is the kind of king who can bring good out of bad, beauty out of tragedy, the kind of king who keeps his promises and when it's darkest brings the light. He's the kind of king who can be trusted with the treasure of your hurt and your pain and your worries and your wants. Amen. My friends, we close out this, this sermon time. So the only way we really can, when we've been studying the Lord's Prayer, and that's to say the Lord's Prayer. So I invite you to stand. Jesus' disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus looked at them with eyes of compassion and he said to them, when you pray, pray like this. We say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.